go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And I'm Leslie Doan. And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 14 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. Leslie and I want to welcome those listeners who are joining us for the first time. In our broadcast, we look at the sacred scripture, excerpts from the catechism, the lives of the saints, and the teaching of the church as we seek to challenge individuals, families, and local parishes to rebuild and renew the Catholic faith here in America. Today, we are continuing a series of broadcasts called Rebuilding Discipleship in the Catholic Parish, and we're tracing this ancient structure, and we believe that now, more than ever in our 21st century, the call to become disciples has never been more important. We've been using a scripture from Matthew 13, 52, where Jesus said, And therefore, every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And we've been working on bringing out this treasure, haven't we, Peter, and dusting it off for our listeners. Amen. Discipleship is indeed a wonderful treasure. Yes, and remember the Great Commission, quote Leslie, go therefore and make disciples, not adherents, not just believers, but yes, full-grown disciples. And we've been exploring this area in the life and structure of the church parish that needs to be recovered, renewed, and revived. As we have mentioned before, we're always researching these top issues being emphasized by the church and among the spiritual thought leaders here in the United States. Many of these areas that need to be rebuilt, and discipleship is one of those areas. In fact, in the last decade, we Catholics have been hearing this call of discipleship on a new level. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's very ancient in its origin. Two key people that we've talked about, Sherry Waddell in her groundbreaking book, Forming Intentional Disciples, and then, of course, Pope Francis, who brought to us missionary discipleship. Well, Peter, we've, we've presented five of the seven pillars of Catholic discipleship. Uh, we started with Encounter Jesus, second, Study and Learn Sacred Scripture. The third was Develop a Life of Prayer. Fourth, regularly receive the sacraments of penance and the Eucharist. And then last week, we presented the fifth pillar, which we believe is foundational to becoming a Catholic disciple. And that was to discover, 
develop and deploy your spiritual gifts. So Peter, we're going to take a few moments right now to share some of the key highlights from our last week's show. Amen. So as we grow in our discipleship, we certainly need to become more and more intentional about discovering and using the gifts that God has given us to serve and build up the body of Christ. We discussed how Paul, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, placed that chapter in between the two gift chapters of chapters 12 and 14 to show us that these charisms must operate out of love, or as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, there's no profit to them. First, we looked at the catechism and what it said about these charisms, and we sum up the catechism this way. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we discover our gifts. These gifts or charisms are for the sake of others, not just for ourselves. They're received with the Holy Spirit in baptism and confirmation. The gifts, the charisms are empowered by God, and they are instruments of his providence. We also learned last week that charisms need our personal cooperation. So what does that mean? We need to receive them with thanksgiving. We need to have knowledge of what the charisms are and discern our own charisms also that we have a right and a duty to use them we're called to be active in using our charisms and we really want to see that each person is enabled to make a unique contribution to the body of christ yes and lastly we talked about the characteristics of a charism and how to distinguish them from our natural talents leslie and first of all those characteristics Charisms are long-term. They can be developed. It's kind of like building up your muscle. They start out small, but they grow as we use them. We also mentioned charisms produce results above and beyond our own natural abilities. Thirdly, they're focused outward, as we said before. They're focused towards the body of Christ and not ourselves. And then they're received from God, and they're not chosen by us. Well, last week we shared the difference between a charism and a natural talent, and this is an area that is often um, misunderstood or people are confused about it. Peter, what are some of those key differences? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a great uh, seminar that goes on, Leslie, called Strength Finders. It's been used in the church and also in a lot of businesses, but that's focused on natural talents, and this is different. Natural talents can be inherited from our parents, but charisms cannot be inherited from our parents. They're given by the Holy Spirit. Natural talents can be used purely for our own benefit as well as the benefit of others. Charisms enable us to be an agent of God. That's powerful, solely for others. Natural talents can be turned to evil, unfortunately. Charisms cannot be turned to evil. And finally, in the life of a Christian, natural talents and charisms can indeed work together. A good example of that is the natural talent of having a beautiful voice and being, being musically inclined. You know, this can be a wonderful natural talent that you can enjoy in your life. If you use this as a charism, or if God uses this as a charism, then that talent then is turned towards serving the body of Christ as a cantor at Mass or being a participant in the music ministry, such as a choir. Yeah, that's a good example. Now, because this is new to many of us, I highly recommend starting with a gift assessment. And here's one ex a suggestion that I have. Go to the website of our home parish, Leslie's and mine, Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Carmel, Indiana. You can go to www.olmc1.org. That's www.olmc1.org. 
click on the ministries tab, and then you will see the words gift assessment. There's 125 questions. This will begin the process that can take place over many years as we walk that charism out with the Lord. After you've answered the questions, there will be a grid to show you where you seem to have the greatest charism inclination. Well, I know, Peter, you were pretty excited this week because there were some posts by Sherry Waddell regarding charisms, weren't there? Yeah, and again, she's a pioneer in this area, and I liked a couple of things that she said, Leslie. She looked up in the old encyclopedia, the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1907, where she was doing some research around the charisms, and she, she read this and found this. As the object of these graces is, according to their nature, the spread of the kingdom of God on earth and the sanctification of men. In other words, the purpose of the charisms is the ultimate salvation of human beings and the spread and building of the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Well, cutting to the chase, what else did she say? Well, she also said the goal of conversion and prayer concerning the charisms is to make this mission and these realities visible and to call each and every one to us a commitment to these things. Well, listeners, it's time for us to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to get into that sixth pillar of Catholic discipleship, which is to conduct spiritual warfare. You won't want to miss this. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Do you like game shows? How about trivia? You're listening to Catholic Radio, so I assume you're interested in the Catholic Church. Catholic Challenge 2.0 is the newest addition to our programming lineup here on Catholic Radio Indy. A 30-minute quiz show covering almost everything Catholic. Catholic Challenge 2.0 tests your knowledge and teaches at the same time. Check it out every Thursday afternoon at 4.30 right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church, and today we are discussing our current series of broadcasts, Rebuilding Discipleship in the Catholic Parish. We believe there are seven pillars that are foundational to becoming a Catholic disciple, and today we're going to discuss the sixth pillar that as a Catholic disciple, we must conduct spiritual warfare. Now, I know this isn't necessarily a fun topic, but where do we begin, Peter, and why is this so important? Maybe not fun, but very necessary, Leslie. So for Catholics, even the most devout of us often find ourselves flat-footed and unengaged in the unseen war that's happening around us. Having returned to the church 14 years ago, I have yet to hear, and this is not to be critical, but I have yet to hear a homily that really dives into spiritual warfare, dealing with the devil, resisting demons, and wearing our spiritual armor. So, but starting in the book of Genesis, Leslie, with the serpent and ending with Revelation 20, verse 10, where Satan is cast into the lake of fire, the scripture unveils for us an unseen war in which every Catholic disciple must and will participate in. So today we wish to focus on how we need to learn to conduct spiritual warfare as his disciples. In our encounter with Jesus Christ, we are brought into a spiritual realm where we are called to deal with our enemies. We have two other enemies that we must confront also, namely the world and the flesh. And there's a great verse in James chapter 4 that talks about these three enemies together. 
The three enemies are the totality, I should say, of our warfare, and the cause, the church on earth, is called, this phrase, the church militant. To be a Catholic disciple, each of us will have to quote-unquote volunteer to fight in God's army, identifying the enemy of our souls, becoming knowledgeable of his schemes like St. Paul talked to us in his epistles, discovering our spiritual weapons that we talk about in Ephesians 6 and how to use them, and finally, Leslie, to enter that battle. This pillar is so important because when I think of discipleship, I don't always see that I'm volunteering to fight in God's army. And as you said, we must be able to recognize our enemies. You mentioned they are the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we have to resist them firm in our faith. But where do we start on this journey to become an active member of that church militant? I think think there's two very important places where we need to begin. First of all, we must accept the reality of a personal, malicious, evil one who through his agents of fallen angels and demonic spirits is set on the destruction of our souls. We often reference, Leslie, the Center of Applied Research in the Apostolate. This is kind of the Gallup organization within the Catholic Church, and you can reference this at www.cara.georgetown.com. .edu, where you can see all these references and these statistics. But a more recent survey indicates that people who are not likely to believe in a creature, that is the devil as a personality. For many, the devil or Satan is a symbol of evil rather than a being. And that's very important. They think it's just a symbol. Right. Among 85% of U.S. adults who believe in God that were asked the question, 69% see Satan more as a symbol of evil, and 31% say they believe Satan is a living being. So a clear majority doesn't see Satan as anything but a symbol. Yes, and when it's broken down among groups, evangelical Christians are among the most likely to believe Satan is a being. Catholics, unfortunately, are among the least likely to agree to that, only 17%. 83% of Catholics say that Satan is more of a symbol. And it's interesting, Leslie, one important thing, when we pray the Our Father, at the end, it says, deliver us from evil. The Greek says, deliver us from the evil one. Also, uh, a second important part for us to note in this regard is a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 I know. talking about the reality of our warfare. I know we need to be grounded in the scripture. <laughs> and this is what it says. Discipline yourselves and keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. Now, there are some important things about our warfare in those three verses, Leslie. First of all, We are to volunteer to engage the enemy of our souls, and that means recognizing that the devil is real, and he wants to devour me, my faith, my family, and even my future. 
Right. He, he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Amen. My response is summed up in this one word in, for, in that First Peter passage, resist. C.S. Lewis, in his classic screw tape letters, points out that one of the enemy's key strategies is to make his uh, people that he's tempting believe that he doesn't exist. That's his first job, and he does a pretty good job of that, and we need to uncover that, and we need to change that around. Are you going to read that quote from C.S. Lewis? Because I think that's really, really enlightening. Yeah, th- this is screw tape talking to his student, Wormwood, and a lot of us are familiar with this, but he says this, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient, that is the young Christian, in ignorance of our own existence. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. That's Satan in in the upper echelons. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Very interesting. Right. So there he is trying to deceive the patient that he doesn't even exist. Yeah, exactly. Secondly, the second thing that we want to point out after the reality of Satan as a entity, a real entity and not a symbol, we want to recognize the struggle in this unseen realm. We must look to our master, Jesus Christ, as the example of the perfect disciple on just how he dealt with the evil one. Yes, I think this takes us back to an emphasis that we continue to bring to our listening audience, and that is that Jesus is the model for us on how to be a disciple, because uh, we are we observe the way he related to his father as the unique son of God, his obedience, but also he was showing us the way to do battle, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he certainly did. Okay, listeners, well, it's time now for a short break, and when we return, we're going to learn more how to practically deal with Satan and his minions when they attack us by learning from our Lord Jesus Christ and his example. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio. Building faith. Building vocations. Walk on. No worries. Be renewed. Be refreshed. Care deeply. Don't miss life. Positive change is on the way. Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to the radio program, Go Rebuild My Church, and today we've been discussing the call to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and we're focusing today on that pillar about doing spiritual warfare. So it's been an exciting exciting broadcast so far and we started with becoming a disciple of the lord begins with our journey our personal encounter with him and then the second pillar is to study and learn sacred scripture the third pillar is to develop a life of prayer the fourth pillar is to regularly receive the sacraments of penance and eucharist and the fifth pillar is to discover 
develop and deploy your spiritual gifts. So today, Peter, what more do we need to learn about conducting spiritual warfare? This is such an exciting topic. Well, in our last segment, we learned how each of us is a part of the church militant. We're called to engage in spiritual warfare with unseen forces that seek to destroy us. We also learned that Jesus, again, becomes our example on how to wage these battles. Now, let's look at how important it is to understand, first of all, Leslie, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, It's so assuring to see that the Lord accomplished for us, first of all, the death, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and what that did to Satan and his forces. Satan's authority and power are now limited and subordinate to the authority in Jesus Christ. Christ, right now, is the king of the earth. His kingdom is invisible, and not everybody obviously acknowledges it. Satan's power, and this is so important, is restricted, limited, and temporal. Leslie, a lot of Christians don't realize that. What has happened briefly is this. The power and authority of Satan has been dealt a fatal blow by Jesus Christ. The cross, the incarnation, the resurrection, and the ascension destroyed any power or authority that Satan enjoyed, but this is important. It did not annihilate him. That'll come later when Jesus completes his work of redemption with the consummation of his kingdom. All things will be brought into captivity to him, and every knee will bow to him, including Satan and those fallen angels who will bow in submission to his authority. We learn that in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that everything in the earth, above the earth, in the earth, and below the earth will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, Jesus becomes our example as we face temptation in our personal deserts. And it was commented on by Pope Benedict XVI. On February 17th of that year, 2013, he commented on the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And he said this, Man is never wholly free from temptation, but with patience and true humility, we become stronger than any enemy. He went on to say, the patience and humility required to defeat the enemy come by following Christ every day and from learning to build our life not outside of him as if he did not exist, but in him and with him because he, Jesus, is the source of true life. Well, once again, this is so encouraging to learn and know that Jesus has defeated the forces of evil through the Paschal mystery, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord. But we also know that he's not annihilated until the end of time. Therefore, he does come to tempt us, right? He's a liar. He's Mm -hmm. a deceiver. And one of the ways he tries to trip us up is in the mind, in our thoughts. So how do we resist him in our mind? Yeah, this this is so true, Leslie. That's the major battlefield. We've all had the experience of dark or demonic thoughts popping up in our minds, and St. Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think this simply means to take control over these thoughts and bring them into the Lord 
with prayer and replace them with his thoughts. The mind is such a fertile playground for Satan if we allow him free access to all our thinking. In fact, one of the things I've done over the years, Leslie, is I've taken that famous Jesus prayer that a lot of people believe it goes back into the fourth century that says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I've said that a lot of times when these thoughts come in my mind, and that really can drive those away. In fact, it's interesting, St. John Cassian said that that prayer was an arrow prayer, and it's an arrow against the enemy. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we do want to end the show with some important and critical ideas for Catholic disciples. So, Peter, can you take a few moments to drill down on the experience of our Lord in the wilderness? There's so much we can learn from that. Yes, so when Jesus went into the wilderness, we learned exactly what the enemy's schemes are and the areas in which he attacks. He tempted our Lord in the three specific areas, the desires of the flesh, the world, and then also the devil himself, abusing pleasures, lusting for power, and loving wealth and false worship were offered to our Lord. These are the realms and the places of Satan's schemes. Now, Jesus resisted the devil by doing what? Applying the scripture to each temptation. This is the only language the devil cannot undo. Scripture is the language that strips him of power and enticements, doesn't it? If we approach him with human thoughts only, he can undo us. If we take an approach toward the devil that says, if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, Satan will crush us. Well, I think this is such an important point for our listeners because the scripture, the word of God, is the sword of the spirit. It's a weapon of our warfare, and we cannot resist temptation in our own human strength. We need the word of God. Uh, Peter, are there any other resources that can help equip our listening audience for the battle? Well, I, I would recommend two key resources to start to become a disciple that conducts spiritual warfare. First and foremost, of course, get into the Scripture and memorize Scripture like Jesus modeled for us as he faced the devil in the wilderness, and this will give us victories in those realms of thought. I have personally like four Scriptures that I've memorized that I use 1 John 4.4, 4, 1 John 3.8, Colossians 2.15, and this last one I will quote Revelation 12.11, we overcome him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives even unto the death. Then a second thing that I would recommend is a wonderful book that I've come across in the last couple of years. It's called A Manual for Spiritual Warfare by Paul Thigpen, published by Tan Publications. It's a wonderful resource for scriptures, church teaching, examples of the saints, hymns and devotions, a great wealth of content to respond to our challenges today. Well, Peter, would you pray for us now that the Lord will help us to engage this battle in faith and to conquer the enemy in our daily walks? Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we come before you today, and we seek your help and strength and graces that we would truly be your people that can wage warfare and we can do what we learned in 1 Peter chapter 4 to resist the devil so that he will flee from us personally, from our families, and from our local parishes. We seek your graces, Lord, especially in this day and age in which we live, that you would equip the church afresh to deal with 
our enemy, the devil and his forces. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today as we seek to connect you as as individuals, your families, and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. And make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye for now, and keep keep the the faith. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 105.7.